Hi, friend. Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is a show that's meant to help you remember who you truly are. I'm Ashley Stahl, a career expert, the author of the new book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. It's now available everywhere books are sold. And it's my honor to bring you guest conversations or even a solo episode with me every single week, all designed to help you elevate your confidence in work, in love, and in life. This is a place for you to reconnect to who you truly are, what you truly want, and to really heal from anything that is telling you that you are otherwise. Wherever you are, I am so grateful to be here in your ears. And I also want to give a shout out with so much thanks to our sponsor, Organifi. You can find them over at Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And when you use the U-Turn checkout code, you get 20% off your order. They make the most magical elixirs, whether it's powders for you to get your greens on every day, really tasty, clean protein powders to add into your diet. I have them every single morning. Probiotic powders to help you really heal and strengthen your immune system. So much more. Now let's get in to this week's conversation. we have any trauma that we've dealt with that we've experienced as a child any issues around absent parents or unavailable parents or rejection or abandonment or humiliation or pain or fears that we've experienced as a child we actually have to work on that stuff because that stuff directly informs and influences our, our sense of self-worth and the habits that we create for ourselves and so you're not going to do nice things for yourself if your sense of self-worth isn't heightened. In other words, if you don't think you're worth it, or if you don't think you're enough, then you are going to meet, you're going to be met with consistent friction around doing these lovely things for yourself. Because a lot of our value is defined in unhealthy ways by how much we do. Hello, my U-turn friends. I am doing yet another week on the love category, and it is never ceasing to amaze me how many of you have rated the love episodes the highest. And so this week is going to be no exception. Such a treat for you. I'm bringing my friend Stefano Stefandos onto the podcast, and we are going to be talking about how you can create a harmonious relationship. And that's going to involve really exploring the masculine and feminine dynamics uh, as a relationship coach and someone who really has an expertise on understanding these dynamics, um, just understanding each other in relationships. This is going to be such a good conversation. Thank you so much, Steph, for being here with me. It means so much. Oh, likewise. I've been excited about this since, I don't know, last year when we spoke about it at, um, at Alyssa's house, our mutual friend. I know, <laughs> Did, right? We have to do this. I said, yeah, we do. Well, you know, it's so funny. I'm realizing how slow I must move because we talked about this, I believe, in June, and I pre-record a lot of episodes. So this isn't even going to go live for another. I mean, it's going to go live like a year after we talked about it. Wow, really? We oh, you mean it will go live? It will go live in a couple of months or something, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so, so funny. Better late than never. 
Exactly. And I know you recently married a total queen, Christine Hassler. Those of you who don't follow her, she's amazing. And you guys found each other in such an unusual way. I'm kind of, I find it really interesting for the audience to kind of hear like how you guys connected and like where you were at before her, you know, cause it's a huge life shift, but talk to me, like, how did this come about? Cause I've heard Christine's side of the story and not so much yours. <laughs> well, I find it very, very similar. We tell the story often, you know, it's, Whilst we're talking about love and relationships, it's it's been said that, and there's some research around this, the more you tell your love story, so if you're in a relationship, the more you tell your love story or your coming together story, it really reinforces the quality of your relationship and it, it lends itself to, amongst other attributes, of course, and factors, but it lends itself to ensuring a healthy relationship and longevity in the relationship. So I have no problem in you know, talking about the the coming together story. Um, But there's a little tip for you as well, which is, it is a cool thing. Um, So we, we met via mutual friends, uh, which, you know, uh, Akira and Renee, um, they were at Alyssa's that day as well. And they introduced us. I was working in a starter. I was in Perth. Um, I'll give you the short-ish version. I was in Perth, Western Australia. Christine was in um, San Diego, California. You know, literally couldn't be further apart. Um, on earth, uh, maybe 12,000, miles away. Um, we were introduced, you know, so many things had to happen for both of us to actually be able to meet all these synchronicities. And they're honestly probably too long to go into. It would take up too much of the this, this conversation of ours. But so many things leading up to that, you know, within, I mean, you could all obviously trace it back to years and years and years, but just the last probably 18 months or two years before us meeting, so many things had to happen um, at a very personal level for me and for Christine as well. Um, the fact that she was in Renee's house when she met me, when she saw me on the computer screen and said that she recognised me, which was for her a real soul recognition. And then Renee reaching out and Christine being very clear, look, I don't really just want, uh, you know, this guy lives in Australia. I've been back and forth to Australia. I mean, I live in, in California. I mean, how's this going to work? He needs to be clear. We were meeting. We weren't meeting, but we were both going to be in the same place in June, July um, of that year when we were introduced in Europe, in Estonia, which is a very small northern European country. And we were there for very specific reasons that were unrelated to each other, so to speak. And and she made it that she could then go there. It was just really this this series of events that happened for us to say, look, I want to be introduced to him because we're actually going to meet in a few months and, and if, if there's a resonance, then we're going to meet and we can go from there. There's something there. And so we were introduced. I, um, I reached out uh, and made some contact and we just started connecting and communicating and it was just WhatsApp. It went to WhatsApp. It was email, Facebook Messenger. WhatsApp was an easier medium for communication. And we started doing video calls and we're just connecting on a day-to-day basis. And, and we couldn't, we knew there was a, a real beautiful connection there and platonic at the beginning. And definitely I felt, not immediately, but very, very close to immediate that, oh, wow, there's something more here than just a platonic friendship and let me just explore this in in a very in a very open, transparent way, and get to know this woman because like, we're not in physical proximity. Let me get to know her in a in a deeper way. So we would ask ourselves deep questions. We we played a game where I would ask her five questions one day, and she would respond to them, and then I would respond to the questions that I asked as well. And so that 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 almost forced us to 
um, be not only creative with the questions, but also knowing that not only that person had to answer them, but we had to answer them. So you couldn't play it too safe because then it's like, uh, why do you want to play it safe? But you don't want to go too deep. You just met someone, but yeah. then you sort of ask the question, maybe I should go deep. Fuck it. Let's go deep. And so we just went deep. And and we also, there was a lot of humour there as well. And then the next day she would ask the questions, I would respond, and she would then respond. And we would do that via voice note or, you know, an SMS or an email or a video, would, you know, would answer them live, whatever. I mean, some of the voice notes got to like 20-something, 20 27 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, ridiculous, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> responding to the- Like thumb holding, you know. She's got a little carpal tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> Like the WhatsApp has a, a button that you can just flick it up and lock it, right? Yeah. Well, did you know, by the way, that before you guys met up in um, Estonia, I had seen her at a party a couple months prior, mm-hmm. and I was like, how's it going? And she's like, I met someone, and he's so hot, and I think he's the one. And I was just like, wow. And there it was. It was done. So, I mean, the intuition is so strong, and people don't really tune into that. You know? Yeah, we don't. And I think the more we do that, the the less painful experiences we have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then she invited me to Greece because she was going there with, with some other mutual friends that we both know as well. They were going on a couple's trip. She was the only single one. And she said, look, before we go to Estonia, would you want, want to meet me in Mykonos? And I was already in Estonia anyway at that point. I was going to be. And I said, yeah, sure. And so we, we met there and we basically moved in together the first day we met. And that's it. I mean, essentially, you know, it really just evolved and developed from there. Now we we live in Austin, Texas. We just we recently purchased a home here, which is really beautiful, and we're very grateful for that. And um, yeah, I mean, the rest is history, as they say. Mm, well, I feel like you know, it's like there's so many beautiful stories like this. I feel like in my partnership, it's like such a light. Like whenever I talk about it, he mm. lights me up. But I also know that these journeys while they're so beautiful have so many challenges sometimes you know Mm -hmm. and I feel like when I think about my partner William for example I've known him since I was a five-year-old little girl Um, yeah because our parents our moms were best friends and I never noticed him because we were five years apart and so knowing him since five he was born and and that's when I met him (laughs) um and so it's interesting because we came together way later in life, noticed each other way later in life. And I'm so grateful to be with him. And when I kind of zoom out, it's like, wow, this is such a beautiful thing. But I also am aware that the process of me putting my life with his, like so much came up, you know, like he has one way of seeing the world. I have another. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women, you know, it's more than ever. I, I think I was just I can't remember if it was majority of women are breadwinners. I do know at least 40% of American households, women are the breadwinner. Really? Uh, that was what I read. And, hmm. you know, it, it, it creates this social dynamic, I think, where women are pushing and wanting to make things happen. And that can translate into relationships t- to a point where maybe it throws that balance off kilter between two people. So, I'm keen to kind of understand, like, you guys had such a beautiful story and where did you have disconnect that you would, you navigate or how did you do that? Yeah. So it's it's interesting that point that you made around, um, the 40% statistic, I'll definitely look deeper into that. That's, that's an interesting statistic. And so that the moment someone becomes a sole provider or the majority provider is the moment that individual or that group you know, they move into a protective role, they move into a provider role. And so traditionally that has been 
the role of, of a man generally when we look at culture and history. But it, more importantly, it's, it's the, the provider and the protector role in an external um, projection, in a sort of socio-cultural, socio-economic projection, because, because when we talk about masculine and feminine dynamics, we're talking about energetics. And masculine and feminine energetics and the expression of that resides within every single human being. And another way to look at it is you can look at it as um, go and flow energy, do and be energy, or exclusive and in- inclusive energetics, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just the polarity of the whole that we are. And it helps keep us in balance when we're that person. And so when Christine and I first got together, I moved all of my life from Australia to here. And the reality was she was the majority breadwinner. I mean, she was, she was, you know, I had to re I had to shift my focus and reset my life here in the US. And that was a choice that I made. But as a result of that, a lot shifted for me. And so we had to navigate um, those dynamics and those energetics. And, and if, and here's an interesting thing as well. When we talk about provider and protector energy, again, traditionally it's been in that that male role, and it is more of a masculine energy when um, expressed in the world. And that doesn't mean that a female doesn't have providing and protective energy. Of course she does. Think about the example of, and we hear this all the time, uh, the mother that lifted up the car because the child was stuck underneath. I mean, that's protective, right? The mother that would do anything to protect her child, the mother that protects herself and her own, or the female that protects herself and her own sovereignty. So that, but when the energetic comes out, it's a, it's a mass, it's considered a masculine energetic, but that's got nothing to do with being a man. So that makes sense, right? We're clear on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes that, that people can get confused, and it's like, oh, you, you know, you're, you're. When we speak to that, it's we're limiting it to gender dynamics. It's got actually very, very little to do with gender. There is a component of that because we're not separate from our biology, and our hormonal profiling and our brains in males and females are different. And so, while masculine and feminine energetics is not completely exclusive from biology. It's only a part of the, the conversations, and, and it's probably a smaller part than what we think, but it still plays a role, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we had to navigate that, and I had to learn to step up in, and step into different roles and different parts of my own masculine essence whilst not having, because I was having what, you know, Christine would call an expectation hangover, where, where I wasn't able to be the man that I projected I thought I needed to be or should be or the role I should. So I had to start going into different areas of, okay, so what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be in healthy masculine energy for me and for a collective expression? And how do I bring that into this relationship whilst also witnessing Christine being her feminine and her not being her masculine in, in a very strong way so then I go and move into my feminine? Because I didn't want that to happen, because it almost almost feels un, it felt and it feels unnatural when you see that and when you witness that. Like I have women, I do a lot of work with women, and women come to me and they say they ask different questions, and then they say, "I'm a very powerful woman. I'm, I'm a CEO. I'm an entrepreneur. I make amazing money. I, I'm mission driven. I'm very clear on what I want, and I'm attracting these very feminine or effeminate men. Mm-hmm. I want a masculine man." And some people would say to that, well, you know, be more in your feminine and stop being such a boss babe and stop, stop. Don't ever say that. That is not, that, <laughs> no, that is the worst advice mm. because 
that woman's in her power. She's in her, that person as an individual is in her expression. She's in her, she's in her mission, her service. She's opening her heart to the world and, and, and giving. That shouldn't stop. However, we need to learn to navigate different dynamics. So if you want a more masculine person in your life, irrespective of what gender you are, then somehow, and there's obviously many tools for this, slipping into your feminine characteristic or feminine expressive states will help magnetize that polar opposite, not opposite so much, but that polarity, that complementary polarity into your life. Mm. And so for me and Christine, we initially started navigating that you know, Christine had been living on her own for 10 years. So she needed a lot of, she, she carried a lot of leadership in her own life. Again, leadership is a masculine uh, quality. It's a masculine energy. That, again, doesn't mean women don't lead. I'll be very clear on that. She did everything for herself, lived alone for 10 years. She, I mean, she knew how to take care of things. And she was also very clear she wanted a masculine man by her definition, and she knew what that meant. But also it was about me making major changes in my life. It was about Christine making some changes and us coming together in greater harmony, relinquishing control. I had to relinquish control of certain things. I had to come to peace and acceptance with certain things that how we were at the beginning would be temporary in terms of what was happening externally and what we had to focus on in order for our unity, our coupledom to actually flourish. We we had to learn how to navigate being together in each other's space because I was living alone for a number of years. I was by myself. Now all of a sudden we're just thrown into this this equation. So we had to make massive, massive changes in routines alone, in who guided certain aspects of the relationship, mm. in how I showed up in a lot of uncertainty because it's easy to become passive in the for, in the sense of uncertainty, especially when there's someone that you trust that, can handle things easier. So it's easy, it would have been easy, it could have been easy for me to slipstream into my feminine and be more of that passive energy and say, oh, well, look, it's not my country. Christine knows more. It's going to be easier for her to do all these things for me. But the more she does, doing energy is a masculine energy, and the more I'm just being, the more there's this pole reversal, so to speak, which can feel unnatural. Like can you imagine in your relationship with your man if you were doing everything all of the time? It would be exhausting, right? Well, you know, actually, that makes me think a lot about housework, you know, like, and by the way, I just to confirm that statistic, it's 42% of women in America are the breadwinner in their home. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Yeah. And think about like, we know, these masculine feminine dynamics. So it's like, yeah, doing can be this masculine energy. But I also think about like this conversation about so many women who they're the breadwinner, and then they come home and there's still this social norm where they're cooking and going to the store and putting food on the table. And it's such a to do, you know, and it's like with this masculine energy of, of doing it almost seems like there's these exceptions of like doing is masculine unless you're cooking, cleaning and dressing a baby. No, it's still still doing energy. It's still, it's still taking control and, and it's still a, it's still taking control of one's environment. It's still a, a, a massive doing energy. And if there's no support there or very little support, that becomes the norm. Mm. And in the dynamic, if you're single or if you're a solo parent, it's a different story, but you're still cultivating 
a very strong masculine energy as a female. And so it's important that you balance that with self-care practice, self-compassion, having space, um, stillness, flow, dance, whatever it may be that stimulates feminine energy within you. Now, if you're in a co-parenting or co-household, there needs to be a balance of what that looks like. Men need downtime as well. Men need reprieve as well. Men need passivity in their lives too. It's not just, it's not a, it's not, a, they need to be tapping into that feminine energetic, right? Mm-hmm. And for the most part, men are, I want to say, not genealogically, but we're biologically conditioned to be more in that, in that very much doing energy. And let me give you an example. And so if we go back, a few hundred thousand years. You know, humanoids have been around for two point something million years, I believe. And so, but if you go down to, if you go, just go back a few hundred thousand years, a couple hundred thousand years, as we've developed as a species and as we've developed in our very hostile, volatile environments, what we have found, what history tends to show, if this is accurate, is that men have been very responsible for extending the perimeter and keeping the physical environment safe. They've been responsible for hunting, for ensuring that the tribe or the small band of people are in in some some form of harmony and protected and shielded and so forth. And so we've been accustomed, you could say genetically, you could say culturally conditioned to be out there in the world. And again, that's a tends to be a, a masculine energy, right? And so the business world is almost an extension of, the, you know, economically commerce is an extension of this very primal way of being that has evolved us as human beings. Mm. And so now we're, we're throwing everyone into this gauntlet of business, which, again, carries a very masculine energy. And what I'm experiencing with many women that come to me is that they're, some of them are fatigued and tired and some of them are really tired that they're not able to connect with a healthy man because a lot of the, the competitiveness in our environment is also causing distortion and extremes in our expression. And so completion energy uh, objective orientation, achievement orientation, goal orientation. Again, these are very masculine energies. The feminine is more in the realm of process, of attention to detail. But we live in such a fast-paced society that you are defined, the quality of your humanness is defined by the quality of your achievements or your status or your titles or your accumulation or your ability to complete something in the most effective and efficient way. That's not a feminine energetic. So we're all, all of humanity is losing touch with that feminine energetic, and that's the imbalance. Like when we look at uh, materialism and consumption and energy production and distribution and extraction, and everything's fast-paced. Everything has to meet a, 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 quarterly, a quarterly report. Shareholders need to be satisfied in a quarterly way. Like there's just so much of this faster, bigger, better that we're moving in extremes of a masculine energy that we need masculine energy we need feminine energy but not either one of them in extremes and at the moment because of no it's not just because of industrialization we can go back a few thousand years to mesopotamia to ancient egypt to ancient rome like the industry the, this thing of growth we have to grow we have to we have to expand it's a very masculine energy and so i'm speaking to this because i know i'm 
fairly certain, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of your audience are um, female entrepreneurs and, and business owners and so forth, yes? Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah, and so is this is this relative? No, not the majority, though. I mean, most of you guys who are listening, you know, right now, I would say most of them are in the workforce. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, so it's not just entrepreneurs and business owners; it's workforce as well. Yeah, I think it's badass business babes listening to us right now, or not business babe, like corporate babes who are just kind of think, you know, going to work and wanting to crush it in their career. A lot of hard workers listening, and yeah. to me, it's like that energy. Is I guess what insight would you have as a man and as an expert in this space of how a woman could soothe or soften herself when she's coming out of an otherwise very intense day, you know, mm-hmm. where she doesn't want to show up in her partnership in this doing and pushing energy and she wants to receive, you know? There you go. Because masculine is a giving energy and the feminine is a receiving energy. And even if you look at basic anatomy and biology, men give almost and women receive right Mm -hmm. and so obviously the awareness piece is the first part so being very aware of okay if I maintain this energetic 24 7 it's not healthy for me and so that awareness piece and knowing that a woman that knowing that you want to shift and change is number one very important Number two is having a routine around the switch. So whether you're in corporate America or whether you're an entrepreneur and, you you know, there has to be, and for sometimes, you know, if you're in corporate America or if you're an entrepreneur, sometimes the work sort of doesn't stop, especially if you're really passionate about what you do in the world and what you are in the world and how you serve. Maybe you're in corporate America, but you also, you're an entrepreneur, you know, within that organization, you're very creative. And, and when we get really passionate about something as human beings, we tend to sort of go all into it, especially if you have an extreme personality like me. So it's <laughs> almost never shut off, right? But then you're never getting reprieve. And that's not healthy either. There's no balance in, in what you're paying attention to because, you know, again, studies and research so show this, demonstrate this, that the more space you create for yourself, the high, the higher your level of creativity. The creativity doesn't come from focusing 18 hours a day on a work project. The creativity comes when you remove yourself from that and you get you gain a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And so removing yourself from that that energetic and having a routine around that, and it could be something as very simple to begin with as maybe you drive to work and the moment you press that button in your car where you drive home, you are slipstreaming into a different energetic, one that you are able to receive. Maybe you put on some really soft music as a woman. Maybe it's your favorite music that just gets you into this place of openness and receiving and love and opens up your heart. And that, but the moment you press that button, there's a trigger that goes on. You train yourself to do this. It's a habit creation, right? And you train yourself to do this. So the moment you do that, you're in receiving mode, mm-hmm. whatever that means for you. Now, the immediate answer before all of that, Ashley, with respect to how do we do that, we we actually have to do our inner work. And our inner work means if we have any trauma that we've dealt with, that we've experienced as a child, any issues around absent parents or unavailable parents or rejection or abandonment or humiliation or pain or fears that we've experienced as a child, we actually have to work on that stuff because that stuff directly informs and influences our, our sense of self-worth and the habits that we create for ourselves. And so you're not going to do nice things for yourself 
if your sense of self-worth isn't heightened. In other words, if you don't think you're worth it, or if you don't think you're enough, then you are going to meet you're going to be met with consistent friction around doing these lovely things for yourself because a lot of our value is defined in unhealthy ways by how much we do. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy. The propensity is, oh, I'll just go back to doing more. I've got to get this stuff done. I'll just finish this project. or I've got to get some stuff done around the house and this sense of accomplishment. But then what's happening is you're not creating space. And if you are in a relationship for that man, to slip into his role as a healthy giver and you're more than likely going to attract an effeminate man or a man that is very much passive or very much he's feminine, which at the beginning can be really cool because, oh, he's compassionate, he understands you and he does a great deal for you and that's amazing. But after a while, that wears very thin because you still end up giving or taking over or controlling. And this is why the inner work is so, so important at that fundamental human level. Hey, U-Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to give a shout out to Organifi right now, our sponsor for this episode. I just love their products and one I've been using every single day is their green juice powder product and I've whipped up a really fun green latte recipe for it. Sounds weird, tastes amazing. Every afternoon to get my greens on, I boil some hot oat milk and in a mug, I throw in a spoonful of their green juice powder as well as a half spoonful of my own matcha powder. And I use a frother to blend the green juice powder, the matcha powder, and the hot oat milk into this magical, tasty green latte that has become my ultimate afternoon pick-me-up. Their green juice powder is packed with 11 superfoods in it. Everything from ashwagandha, which is used in Ayurvedic medicine, in India to Moringa, which is an herb that keeps your skin glowing, and they're using Moringa in the Bahamas to prevent COVID-19. It's just incredible to detoxify your body, get your greens going, and it's organic. So to get yourself going on a super healthy green latte in the afternoon, just head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash U-Turn. And don't forget to enter your U-Turn code in to get that 20% off, Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. I don't make a penny off of this promo code, but I just love that they provided you with a discount. I love their products. And of course, I so appreciate that they're supporting the U-Turn podcast with their sponsorship. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I, uh, I know that not just like navigating your own energy, but learning how to understand each other. And I I love what you were saying, by the way, like it's so basic, but it's so true. And I think we miss the basics, you know, which is like, you have to first realize like how you're operating in your relationship. Like if you're over-functioning or if you're trying to get somebody to think something or you're pushing, you have to realize that before you can eat and and realize that you don't want to do it anymore and choose not to just as a starting point. And I think a lot of people just kind of look at their relationship and they think to themselves, this is how I am. And this is how he is. And this is how we are. But it's like, you get to kind of zoom out and say, yeah, I don't want to be the one that's always pushing for things all the time. Um, and that's the beginning. So let's say somebody listening 
has that awareness and they're like, yeah, I don't want to push anymore. I don't want to be in doing so much all the time. I want to get more receptive. And they're kind of putting on like flowy music as they're coming home and just taking some steps to like get into more receptive flowing energy. What would be another step maybe when conflict comes up or in just the day to day that you could recommend for women who are listening to get closer to understanding each other and out of that kind of pushing energy? You don't have to make a decision immediately. So being um, that doesn't mean you're less decisive. It's just that you're less decision orientated. And so you get to actually be with what's being presented to you. So if there's conflict or tension being presented to you, absorb it in the sense of just be with it. You don't have to make a decision immediately. So having less structure around, oh, I need to make a decision around this right now, take care of it, compartmentalize it and move it on. Again, compartmentalization, decision-making, structure, these are masculine qualities. And so if you want to move away from that, create space. And so in conflict, whether it's work conflict or whether it's um, intimate interpersonal conflict, it's about listening and receiving the information. And so what what men tend to do is we receive, and and this is a a hyper-masculine thing and it's an extreme, right, is men that are in their hyper-masculine They'll receive information, disseminate it very quickly, and then give it out to the world. All they want to do is just give it. They want to, they want to get rid of it. They want to move it on. So maybe it's a conflict or a problem. They either want to solve it, reconcile it, move on. Mm. So it's kind of like a drive-by delegator, like somebody who like yeah. gives you something and is like, fix it. Yep, yep. They want to fix. It's a fixing energy, right? Whereas the feminine energy is more observant. And this is where healthy masculine can actually witness and hold right and so within you if you just don't want to fix so quickly and just allow that information that's being presented to you unless of course you're physically unsafe and you have to react but if that's not the case which most of the time it's not it's more of a psychological threat or it's it's you're having an argument with someone and it feels really uncomfortable is just to breathe through that stop and breathe for a few minutes Mm-hmm. literally inhale through your nose and exhale through your nose and do that at a really slow pace if you can and make your exhale longer than your inhale to bring you back into the body tell yourself you're safe and just be with the information you don't need to do anything about it you can just absorb it and you can and you can actually get into the practice and the habit of I'll come back to you in 10 minutes 24 hours 2 hours whatever it is you don't even have to put a time to it you can just say I'll come back to you on that and that's okay as well and that can be a really useful tool to not have to be so decision orientated. And you can ask more questions and you can go into the feeling body and you can express how that's making you feel, not only what you think about it, but how it's making you feel. Mm. That can help us get more into our feminine. I'm thinking about like all the silly things that women could practice or men. I mean, it's, it's all energies, like you were saying, like, for example, my backyard. So my boyfriend, William, we just moved in together and he, it, he has this thing. I'm not even joking. I, I haven't even talked about this on the podcast yet, but he calls it the tiki lounge and he legit has stuff, a tiki lounge in the backyard down to like the, I don't even know what the tiki like face ca- cartoon like looking statuey things are to emulate what one would think of when they picture a tiki lounge. Okay. So when I first came to his house, I was like, wow, it's amazing. He's so responsible. He bought a home. 
And then I was like, oh my gosh, what is this backyard? And it is like his number one joy is the Tiki Lounge. Whereas for me, as a minimalist, I'm like, this has to go. <laughs> like one day, this whole Tiki Lounge cannot be here. And so I'm thinking about like all of the women and men who you know, if they're in that masculine energy of doing, like you talked about, like, then my approach would be like, this has to go, you know, versus control. control. Mm -hmm. And then the more feminine energy is more like observing. So Mm -hmm. what would that look like in a practical way if I wanted to get out of like this tiki lounge has got to get out of here. And I moved into like, okay, how do I, if if he's like a hockey puck and I want to use feminine energy to like get him down the court or whatever, a hockey rink, the rink, the ice rink, I don't even know what it is. Mm. <laughs> um, how would I like smoothly kind of like get this puck down the rink mm. versus putting it straight into the goal and being like, this has to go. Mm. So the mass, the masculine energetic would would get the hockey stick and smash it towards the other end, get it there as quickly as possible, as efficiently as as effectively, right? <laughs> Whereas the feminine energetic is going to be a little bit different. You're you know, you're gonna you're gonna blow the hockey puck a little bit, maybe get a stick and just tap it. But really, what you want to do with him in terms of the conversation is you want to understand why he has that there. What's the symbolism and the significance for him? And it's not so much a cognitive understanding. It needs to be more of a feeling-based, emotive understanding. What does that emotionally represent to him? And also not necessarily wanting to, having an intention of not wanting to change it or remove it, but more importantly, know why it's important to him. Mm. Get into his world around that. So before you actually you make a very clear decision as to I want this out of here, mm-hmm. first you really understand what it means to him. But I don't mean understand cognitively, understand from an emotive perspective why that's there for him. Maybe it's ugly, maybe it doesn't look good and aesthetically you're thinking, oh, this is horrible. But what does it symbolise for him? What does it give him? What does it do for him? How does it make him feel? Why is it important to him? What's it? What's really like? Keep digging, keep understanding from a very sincere, compassionate, non-judgmental way. Because the moment we start critiquing or judging is the moment any human being gets very defensive and protective. Mm-hmm. And when we're defensive and protective, we're shut down and shut out. We shut out the world, and we go with it. And we our nervous system respond uh, reacts as opposed to responds. Mm-hmm. And so, if you go into the intention of understanding, wanting to learn more and feel what the significance is to him, you may find that at the end of that, if there's an end point, you probably not give, if you really understand what it symbolizes and signifies to him, you probably won't even give a fuck that he's got it there, and no matter how ugly it is. And every time you see it, you'll probably, re, it will just, you'll organically reframe what it means to you because it means so much to him. And that's, that's more of a feminine energetic where you're not forcing anything, you're not trying to control anything because any form of control is an extreme expression of, so, for example, the feminine energetic control unhealthily controls through manipulation. The masculine energetic unhealthily controls through force, subjugation, like overt force, not power. That's the two different things. Force comes with an intention to protect and hurt and comes from fear. They both come from fear. Both All control comes from fear, fear of losing power, losing a sense of self. 
And so the feminine energetic is manipulation and the masculine energetic is force in, in unhealthy extremes. And so you're not manipulating. You're sincerely just wanting to know and learn and feel and make that the goal. The process is the objective. And now you're in a feminine energetic and there's no end point to you understanding and you're not grilling him. It's not like a, you're not, inter- it's not interrogation. It's sincere, genuine compassion and non-judgment. His defenses are down. He gets to understand it. You're not coming from a place of wanting to change it. Then he doesn't feel that he's shamed or wrong because that happens or we get that, especially if he has wounding around that. The moment you start questioning what he, what he has. And so Another thing, you've moved into his established home. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now it's both your homes, right? But in his mind, because men can't compartmentalize, in part of his mind, no matter how close he is to you, I shouldn't say this, it's not always the case, but for many men, it's like, well, this is my place. You've come into yeah. my home. Totally. When, yeah, part of the part help you. Yeah. Is like, I'm like, I want to feel like it's my place too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he needs to let you nest because he needs to let you do your thing as well. But it's got to come from a place of transparency and understanding. And that's the that's the challenge of moving into a um, whether it's your home and he's moving in or it's his home and you're moving in. You know, there's a there's a hey, you're familiar because everything in that environment is very familiar to you of how you've done things in a particular way. And every time he makes a suggestion or does something different, it almost shocks your world. And the unfamiliar can be interpreted as unsafe. And so depending on what his wounding is, and I don't know what that is, and most of us have some level of wounding, he may be really offended or jarred by that, that you want to come in there and change everything. And you're not changing everything because you don't like him or you don't like it. You're just trying to feel grounded and safe and familiar as well. And so having very transparent conversations around what's really going on in the unconscious parts of self and how do you know if it's if it, the un, if that's unconscious? Because if what I'm saying resonates true to you, and you like go, you can get really real with yourself and go, yeah, it's probably what's happening. Then you know that's what needs to be spoken about. Don't speak about the shiny bullshit or the surface stuff. Speak about the real stuff. And you have that capacity, I have no doubt. And if you know you're with a, a, a man, any man, I'm sure he has that capacity too. And so you you both get to speak about that and communicate that and set boundaries and. And structures around that, but importantly, you know, give yourself each other permission. Really open each other's hearts in that space. Mm -hmm. And I love what you're saying. It's like seeking to understand. And it can be so hard with heated issues, I think, in relationships where Mm. a woman or a man, like they really want something. And it can be so tempting to kind of look at that process of getting curious as like a waste of time or you know, draining, you know, like I, I've heard so many friends talk about like these conversations they may have to have. And it's like, okay, no, this is an investment in the relationship, getting curious. Mm. It's not something I'm perfect at. I'm definitely working on it. Let's say that we, um, I love using myself as a guinea pig. I'm like, always like, eh, I might as well be the U-turn podcast sacrificial lamb today. <laughs> So like, let's say we do this and I get curious, um, cause I think it's such a good example for anything really. And I hear where he's coming from and I still feel what I feel like, mm. where do you go from there? How do you make compromises or what suggestions do you have in relationship for that? Yeah, that that's honestly a tough one because the, the, the immediate suggestion that I would have is continue to come from a place of compassion and non-judgment. And at the end of the day, it will come down to who it's most important to and how you express that. 
So I can't tell you what decision to make and, and, and because I don't know and, and you don't either at this point. However, the continued exploration of that will reveal it. And I really think, from my experience, the more you're both non-judgmental and compassionate, in other words, you've got to show up and make sure that if you're being triggered, you take ownership of your own wounding or pain or, you know, tension around that and not project it onto each other. And the more you do that, the more you actually really care less, and that's for both of you. And you probably get to a point where it's like, oh, yeah, just get rid of the tiki thing, whatever. And you're like, no, 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 keep it. And, and he's, no, 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 get rid of it. It's okay. That's probably where you'll end up. And because you realize that it's not that important to you. Not, I'm not, and I'm not minimizing what you're saying. I'm, I'm saying that you probably get to a point where you actually understand each other at such a deeper fundamental level that that surface thing isn't as important as what you initially thought it would be. But the only way you'll get there is with consistent, healthy behavior, showing up in compassion, non-judgment, really actively listening and caring about what the other person is saying and healthily expressing your truth in a way that is not confrontational and not projective. And the more you do that, the more likely you will come to a very healthy outcome that you both are really happy with. Mm-hmm. And this actually kind of gets me thinking about a topic we went through was anxiety, you know, because mm-hmm. you're saying like not projecting wounding onto the other person. And I yeah. think one form of wounding that a lot of people have looks like anxiety, you know, yeah. um, and projecting your anxiety about something onto someone else. So I know we live in really uncertain times right now. Um, whenever this airs, you know, with coronavirus, hopefully by the time this airs, this, that won't even mm. be a thought for people. Mm. But a lot of people have anxiety and, and they're bringing that into their relationships and into their conversations. Like, what are some tools that we can look at for anybody listening to this that, you know, maybe they're doing that seeking to understand compassion, non judgment, getting curious, not just, you know, hitting the hockey puck straight into the goal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what would be some tools to get started in releasing a little anxiety so you're not projecting that onto your partner? Yeah, so the, there's a number of different tools. One of the first that I would recommend is external support. So it's so, so important that we don't rely on our partner for everything and anything. You know, your partner's not your therapist. And projecting on our partners in the world we live in today is very common because we seek so much from our partners. We seek them to be a lover, to be our sexual partners, to be our protectors, to be our biggest supporters, to be our doctors, to be our confidants. Like we, when once we we had a whole tribe and a village to to fulfill that. And so it's important that you have your own network of friends and support that you can go to so you don't project your pain onto your partner or your difficulties. That doesn't mean you don't connect and speak with your partner. It just means that you're not constantly lashing out at them. And so you're defusing your emotional volatility with people that you have agreements with that can see you and respect you and hold you in that space. And that's very important. And and I even suggest having professional um, support and help, whether it's a psychologist, a counselor, a shaman, a spiritual guide, someone that you can go to that is out of your body, that is not in your vantage point, but that is in another perspective and vantage point. That's really healthy, number one. Number two, in moments of anxiety, generally when we're feeling anxiety, it's because we're pushed to our edge and we're very uncomfortable and we feel unsafe, and so the body starts responding to that. 
and and really the shaking is is actually a healthy thing it's the body wanting to release trapped neurological trauma cellular trauma bodily somatic trauma but because it's so uncomfortable and we feel so out of control we suppress it whether it be with alcohol workaholism drugs uh, popping pills distractions tv whatever it is right and so that anxiety is never really released but it's at this low level and so going into that in a very supported way in a very uh, open way is important but when you're dealing with anxiety in the moment and maybe you're having a conversation with your partner and it's bringing up anxiousness within you you can do a couple of things and this depends on your attachment style as well and attachment theory is a is a theory in psychology and interrelational dynamics that says hey when you were a child this is the attention or lack of attention that you received and it sort of led you to be this way as an adult as an example and so we have insecure attachment styles where people are very needy and they're codependent and they need other people to validate themselves and their self-worth is based on how happy they make other people and so forth. And there's people that are more avoidant that don't like conflict and if there's conflict, they're sort of out the door. So the strategies that I'm – and they're two examples of unhealthy attachment. The strategies that I'm going to give you now really depends on who you are and knowing yourself. And so you can do your own self-research and work with a therapist and so forth, and that can help work with a guide and a support. But you can have pre-arrangements. So you you have agreements in place on how you want to deal with conflict because that then helps, that informs the anxiety that you feel because you know you've got a safe outlet. And what I mean by that is this. Say you're having a, um, an argument and say your partner is avoidant and you are insecure attachment. So you're you're really needy, um, or, or say say you know you say you're avoidant, and you you're that person that doesn't really like conflict. Very happy to just like go away, get rid of it, not really even look at it, not observe it. And your partner's, I need to talk about this now. We have to talk about this now. We have to sort this out now. And it's very the energetic of very needy. Mm. And so what you can do in that moment again, you have prearranged agreements of how you deal with conflict and tension. And if it brings up the anxiety in you, you can do some slow, soft breathing and some mindfulness training. So an example of mindfulness training is observing five to ten objects in your environment, naming them, and maybe even naming some of their characteristics. So it brings you into the present moment if you're really anxious, right? You don't need to do deep breathing because that can trigger further trauma response, but slow, soft breathing can help and then focusing on a particular part of your body. And you may do that for a few minutes. You may also say that, hey, this is getting too intense for me. I know I have a pattern of walking away from conflict, but can we just have 10 minutes of space? And your partner may be that insecure type and say, okay, as long as I know it's 10 minutes, I'm happy to do that. And so you, you maybe go in different rooms. You can do some somatic work, like you can do some burpees or you can do some shaking on the ground or you can walk up and down or jump on a trampoline or you both go for a walk and come back in two hours or three hours or four hours, depending on the intensity of the conversation. But you you, you honour those agreements and you honour that container. Mm. And that can help then give you perspective Maybe phone a friend, um, phone you know emergency contact, whatever it may be. Get some perspective. Come back and deal and keep doing that, repeating that process for as long as you need to. You can couple that with something called the Imago Dialogue or active listening therapy, which is a little bit different. But the Imago Dialogue is really a way to be heard and to express in a very healthy way. And anyone can look this up. I M 
A-G-O, Dialogue, Imago Dialogue. I've got a whole worksheet thing on it as well. I'm happy to send that to you. You can include that in your show notes if you want as well. Great. And that can be really helpful. That's a tool for communication and communicating. So there are some ways that I would suggest dealing with anxiety in conflict in partnership and respecting each other. Sorry, do you want to say one thing? Don't project, don't blame, be mindful of the language that you use, use I language. That's a more complex conversation and the Imago Dialogue helps with that, but it's not projecting and blaming and saying, you did this and I feel like this because you did that. Well, that's that's going to just bring up defences. And so it's really going to be more about what you're experiencing and taking ownership of that. That's very helpful as well. Mm. Growth is so hard, man, Steph. I'm listening mm. to you. I'm like, oh, this is so hard. It's like mm-hmm. people who are listening in the thick of the moment, it's like your body wants to maybe go into againstness or maybe be so tired of the fact that you're the person you love tends to do this and you're so sick of it. Like how do you rise above that and stay curious and stay compassionate when you've had too much or somebody's had too much and they just need a breather? What are some of the, your favorite tools for mindfulness or just getting grounded? Oh, just getting grounded. take your shoes off and get into nature. And if Mm -hmm. you can't do that, jump in a warm bath, make it dark, put a a long YouTube video of whale sounds or dolphin sounds, close your eyes and just connect to nature and and be in water. Um, Go for a hike, go for a walk, move your body. Um, If you don't have a bath, have a a shower. Um, Just get grounded and get into nature and just get some perspective. You can do some release writing, which is a a specific technique around emotional release work. that's a bit more complicated, but essentially the na- the nature of that is just getting out all of your thoughts in a very almost unconscious way. It's not it's not structured. It's not diarising or, or journaling or reflecting. It's just release writing, like really writing fast, writing hard, getting all the emotions out. You know, screaming the emotions if you need to. You can sound breath, sound, and movements a very powerful modality for moving through stuff. Um, and then you'd rip that piece of paper up and then you'd do some somatic work, like, again, move the body, go for a walk, jump on a trampoline, do some burpees. Just, you know, get the energy moving through your body. Breathe deeply if it doesn't elicit too much trauma depending on your past. So there's there's different ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So beautiful stuff. I mean, I know people are going to want to keep learning from you here. Um, where can everybody find you if they want to just take everything you're sharing deeper? Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, you can connect with me on my website, stefanosafandos.com or any of my um, my social media channels, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, stefanosafandos. Wonderful. Thank you again. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have 
an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.